generally in his letters, and Ephesians is no exception, uh, Paul begins uh, with doctrine and he goes to duty. He starts with uh, truth and, and then he moves into uh, application. And Ephesians, really the, the first three tra- chapters are, are doctrine and beginning in, 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 at, the, at the beginning of chapter 4, he moves into, okay, this is what you do with this. Like at the be- beginning of chapter 4, he's going to say, you know, walk worthy of the calling uh, with, with which you were called. And so uh, we're going to get to that in, in a couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to look at verses 20 and 21 in particular next week, just kind of touch on that today. But you know, if you really, if you think about where we've been, uh, you know, verse one, uh, chapter one, verse three, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, and he enumerates many of those blessings. And so, we, we've seen how that by the grace of God, Jesus has raised us up from death to life in Him, but not just us individually with Him, but us together as the church, Jew and Gentile. One body seated in the heavenly places, alive together in Christ. And so he, he lays that out in the first couple of chapters. And then if you look back, this is kind of interesting. If, if you look at the first phrase of verse 14 that says, for this reason, verse 1 of chapter 3 actually starts with the exact same phrase. So what does that mean? Well, Preston pointed this out when he preached uh, verses 1 through 13 on June the 9th. Basically, Paul had a spiritual ADD moment. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, you know, he's, he, he's laid all these things out. Now he's getting ready uh, to pray for them to actually be able to experience these things. And it's just like, oh yeah, I, I need to tell you about something here. I need to elaborate on something I've been talking about. And so that's basically what verses 1 through 13 are. It's kind of like a, a parenthesis, parentheses that we would put in a, in, a, in a sentence. Verses 1 through 13 are kind of like a parenthesis in the flow of Paul's thought here as he kind of interrupts this prayer uh, to expand on this idea of, of Jews and Gentiles being one body in Christ. So just to review uh, for a second before we dig into this prayer, um, uh, you know, I reminded you last week, Preston and I were kind of tag team preaching. We looked at this, verses 1 through 13, through two different angles. And, and he talked about, you know, the revelation of this mystery. And, and, and the mystery wasn't that Gentiles could be saved, but the revelation was uh, that, that Jews and Gentiles were completely reconciled together in one body, uh, in, in Christ. You know, this breaking down of racial walls and, and, and barriers. And, and he talked about uh, that this is an open secret. And then I kind of elaborated on that last week and looked at it from the angle of Paul and talked about us sharing this open uh, secret that we're uh, graced and, and we're accountable to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ, that we talk about what we treasure. And, and so uh, let me give you an illustration of those two things. I, I thought about this this week. I think Ryan and Joy uh, were at our house on Monday night, and it kind of reminded me of the worst-kept secret in the history of True Life Church. And the worst kept secret in the history of True Life Church was that uh, when we went to Honduras and uh, I, I took the ring down there, which actually felt like one of the weightiest responsibilities that I've ever had as a teaching pastor of this church, but that, that Ryan and Joy were going to get engaged when uh, they were in Honduras uh, 
This was sometime last year. Which trip was it? They'll run together. October, okay? And so here's the thing. I don't think that people were breaking Ryan's confidence. I think what would happen is, you know, there's a few people that Ryan needed to tell uh, to, you know, make it happen. And he'd like tell one person, say, don't tell anybody. But then he'd be so excited about it that he'd tell somebody else and, and, and like, don't tell anybody. And I don't think people were spreading it. I think it was all Ryan. I, I, think, I, I think by the time it was all, I don't know how Joy didn't know. Because I think three-fourths of the rest of our church knew that he was going to propose to her on this Honduras uh, trip. And I mean, it's like I told Robin, I'm taking the ring down there. And she's like, I already know. I'm like, so it was an open secret, but he was too excited about it to keep it to himself. And that's a pretty good parable for what Paul's saying to us in Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. It's an open secret. It's a mystery that God has revealed, and we ought to be so excited about it that we can't just keep it to ourselves. We can't keep the secret. That's the idea. So uh, let me ask you this question. You don't have to answer out loud, but one of the things I talked about last week when I was talking about this was challenge us to get up on Monday morning and ask God to lay somebody on our hearts that we could reach out to and share the gospel with. Did you pray that prayer? You know, I said in the message last week that, uh, you know, I needed sometimes to be more focused on this. So there was somebody that God kind of put in my mind, and, and, and I prayed for him. And uh, he's a friend. He's actually somebody I've shared the gospel with before, but I reached out uh, to him. And, uh, you know, we kind of messaged some this week. And then last night we had this really long exchange basically talking about the gospel, uh, you know, through messaging that's supposed to get picked up again this afternoon. That's a prayer that God will answer. So can you get up tomorrow morning and ask God to show you somebody that he would have you to share the unsearchable riches of Christ with this week? So he's laid out these truths. He starts to pray he, he has this ADD moment. He elaborates on one of the things he had talked about. Now, in verse 14, he comes back to this prayer, picks it up again with the same phrase, for this reason. And like I said, the prayer in chapter 1 is more for spiritual enlightenment. This prayer we're going to see is more about spiritual experience. In fact, I would say the main idea, if we we're just kind of going to boil it down into one sentence of what's happening in this text, is that through believing prayer, we can actually experience God and what He has done for us in Christ through the working of the indwelling Holy Spirit. I mean, that's really what he's praying for here. He's saying, you know, God has done all this for us. I've laid out all these truths. But now it's about actually experiencing God. It's taking spiritual knowledge and translating it into experience and action. And part of the way that that happens is through prayer. I believe that he makes four particular requests in this prayer that are important for us to understand and apply by actually praying them ourselves. And, and that's really what we're going to focus on. But before we, we get into that, I just want to just kind of point out just kind of some general 
observations about this prayer that I think we can take and apply to our prayer lives. Hope you have a bulletin, and I hope that you'll kind of take the bulletin and use it, that maybe you'll use this as the outline as a reminder later on. But let me just kind of point out about seven or eight things here, just general things about this prayer quickly before we drill down for a little bit on these requests. So, I want you to notice here, and remember the context. Where's Paul when he's writing and praying this? He's in prison, okay? So, notice this. Paul prayed about internal needs instead of external needs. Did you notice that when we read the prayer? He's praying about things that are going on inside of us. Now, does this mean that we can't pray about external things? Absolutely not. Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. He absolutely wants us to depend on him for our needs. But I think a lot of times in our prayer lives, we get trapped in this cycle of that's all that we pray for. And that's not a healthy way to pray. So pray about internal things as well. Notice this. Paul prayed about others instead of just for himself. Now, are we supposed to pray for ourselves? Absolutely. Are we supposed to pray for others? Absolutely. I mean, you see that through the New Testament. It's what the Bible calls intercession. We're supposed to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, he was in a situation where it would be very understandable, probably how I would have been, if, he's, if all he was praying is, God, get me out of this situation. But that really has nothing to do with his prayer. He's praying about inward things, and he's praying for others. I want you to notice here that Paul prayed based on the rich resources that we have in Christ. So listen, this is important. Prayer is not trying to get something that doesn't belong to us. Prayer is claiming what we already have. That's really what faith is. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Prayer is claiming, appropriating what God has given us, not trying to talk God into something that he doesn't have for us. Uh, Notice that Paul's heart posture as he prayed was humility and submission to God. Um, You know, this is evidenced by the fact that he's bowing and, you know, he's bowing his knee, and, and, and that's an outward posture, and there's no certain way to pray. You see uh, different postures of prayer uh, pictured in the Bible, but it, it, it indicates a heart posture, a heart uh, position. Um, Paul says here that he bows his knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And and that phrase, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, refers to the fact that God is the source of all things, and he's sovereign over all things. That's important to understand who we're praying to. Really, uh, the key to faith is not how much faith we have. Oh, that's not unimportant. But what's most important about faith is the object of our faith. So understand that we're praying to our heavenly Father. He's our Father, so He loves us and He cares about us. But He is the source of all things. He's sovereign over all things. He's in control. That's who we're talking to. That's why He can answer our prayers, but it's also why He's going to answer our prayers in the way that is best for us, even though we don't understand that sometimes. So understand who we're praying to. 
Paul was praying with and, and, and you know, what would it do to our prayer lives if we prayed with this conviction? Paul was praying with the conviction that anything we pray for will not measure up to God's capacity to answer. I mean, we're going to talk about this more next week, but verse 20. He can do immeasurably beyond anything that we can ask or imagine. Now, if we really would believe that, wouldn't that just build our faith? That our capacity to ask will always lag behind God's ability to answer. So he has the power to do whatever needs to be done, and he has the love to do whatever is best to be done. And notice too, Paul ended the prayer with worship, with giving God glory, so he wasn't just asking. You ever guilty of that? I am. Sometimes, you know, we, we can just, you know, lay out our laundry list, our wish list for God without worshiping him or thanking him or living with an attitude of, of gratitude. And so those are just kind of some general observations regarding this prayer and prayer in general for us to think about. But, but let's, let's look at the four specific requests that he gives here and how they apply to us. So the first request in verse 16 is that we can pray to be strengthened with God's power internally. We can pray to be strengthened with God's power internally. Notice again what verse 16 says. Uh, Paul uh, says, you know, he's praying here that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Um, so, he says, we're praying according to the riches of his glory. And, and the glory of God is the outward shining manifestation of all of God's inward character and perfections. So all of God's perfection, all of God's power, the riches of his glory. It, it's like a bank account that can't be overdrawn. I, I mean, think about it. Anytime God gives us grace, anytime God answers a prayer, anytime God has done anything for us, the riches of his glory and the greatness of his grace are not diminishing in any way. You know, it's not like when you write a check and they, it comes out of your bank account. Nothing's coming out of God's bank account when he's answering a prayer. But he's, here's the prayer, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Do you have obstacles and challenges in your life? Temptations, difficulties, things you struggle with? We all do, right? And, and you know, we can pray about each one of those individually. Or we can pray for God to strengthen us with his might through his spirit in the inner man. And, and that would give us the strength to overcome whatever it is that we're facing. But notice that this strength comes through the Holy Spirit. Scott, would you put that verse back up there, please? Um, Strengthen with might through his Spirit in the inner man. You know, in the Old Testament, the Bible says, not by 
uh, might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We have everything that God uh, that we need to be, able to be and to do everything that God wants us to be and do through the indwelling of his spirit. Greater is he who's in the world, that greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. So if, if we're going to really experience God's strength, we need to ask for it, but we need to ask for it in submission to and dependence on being filled with the Holy Spirit instead of just doing it ourselves. One of the things that's sprinkled through this prayer is that it's the working of the Spirit inside of us that enables us to experience all of these things that God has purchased for us in Christ. But if we're walking in the flesh instead of walking in the Spirit, that's why we don't experience these things. And so that's why we can know all these things and believe all these things to be true, but not see them reflected in our lives and in our experience if we're not living under the control of the Spirit of God. I really do believe that's the key to living the Christian life. Everything boils down to that. Now, there's things that, that feed into that, but, uh, you know, sometimes... I mean, you just get frustrated with yourself spiritually. I do. You're like, man, I know so much. Why am I not doing more? Uh, Jesus is so wonderful. These things, these truths are so great. But why am I struggling and why am I messing this up? And its root, I mean, some of it's because, you know, we're fallen human beings. But at its root, the biggest reason is, is because we're not submitted to the Spirit of God in our lives. Because as He lives through us, we experience these things. But how often do we live in our own strength? Or how often do we even pray for God to help us with something? But we expect God to do something external when really the way that God's going to work is internally through His Spirit. I mean, think of it this way. Um, you know, I mentioned last week we lived next door to the Holtz, and, um, you know, Brad's a big, strong guy, uh, lifts weights, three or four, you know, strong, in-shape, athletic guys at home. Let's just say I have something big that needs to be moved at my house. And I know the Holtz would come and help me do it if I just asked, but I decide to try to do it on my own. And I hurt myself uh, when I'm trying to move this because it's too much for me, and I'm mad about uh, getting hurt. And my wife says to me, well, you should have asked the Holtz uh, for their help. And I would have probably been uh, mad at my wife at that point for, like, reminding me of the obvious truth. But she would be right because, uh, you know, maybe I couldn't do it in my own strength, but they're right there for uh, the asking. And a lot of times, that's how we live our lives. We get mad at God and because, you know, we're struggling with something uh, when at the end of the day, he's just a prayer away. But the point is, it has to be the right ask here. And sometimes we make the wrong ask of God take care of this when the right ask is God fill me with your spirit so I can experience your strength flowing through me. But Paul is reminding us here, and we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. So ask to be strengthened with God's power on the inside. Second request here is we can pray for Jesus to be fully at home in our hearts. 
And, 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 and let me say this so I don't forget. To me, this prayer is just a brilliant transition from the doctrine to the action that, that he's going to start talking about at the beginning of chapter 4. Know these truths. Ask God to work in your life, and then that's how you live them out. So we can pray for Jesus to be fully at home in our hearts. Now, th this comes from the beginning of verse 17, and where he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, you just read that. You're just kind of, you know, just going through this. You read that. It's like, okay, you may think either this doesn't make a lot of sense or this is just kind of redundant. Why is he praying for Christ to dwell in their hearts if they're already Christians? Doesn't Jesus already dwell in their hearts through his spirit? And the, the key here is understanding what the, the meaning of the word dwell. And in, in Greek, the, the word dwell literally means to um, settle down and be at home. It's to settle down and, and, and be at home. It's kind of like when you first move in a house and there's boxes everywhere, everything is in disarray. You live in that house but you're not settled down and at home yet, right? Especially you ladies. You're, some of you would just be freaking out because everything is not in order. But then once you really get everything unloaded, out of the boxes, organized like you want it to be, then you feel at home. And so this is saying Jesus can, in a sense, live in our hearts but not really feel at home in our hearts. And as we depend on him, as we trust him, as we surrender to him, more and more he can actually be at home in our hearts. So uh, I want to give you some homework, okay? I'm going to say a little bit about this, but, but I want to give you some homework. I want, I want you to write this down, and, and I, I, I want to ask you to read this this week. Okay, and, and, and I promise you, it is short enough that even Rusty Arwood can read it. All right, you, you, can, you can Google this. There's PDFs online. It's like five or six pages. So it's a booklet. Okay, it's not a book, Rusty, so you, you can do it. All right, Robert Munger, My Heart, Christ Home. Robert Munger, My Heart, Christ Home. I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. He, he, he starts... Uh, by, by, by saying this. He says, One evening I invited Jesus Christ into my heart. What an entrance he made. It was not a spectacular emotional thing, but very real. Something happened at the very center of my life. He came into the darkness of my heart and turned on the light. He built a fire uh, on the hearth and banished the chill. He started music where there had been stillness, and he filled the emptiness with his own loving, wonderful fellowship. I've never regretted opening the door to Christ, and I never will. In the joy of this new relationship, I said to Jesus Christ, Lord, I want this heart of mine to be yours. I want to have you settle down here and be perfectly at home. Everything I have belongs to you. Let me show you around. And of course, he's speaking figuratively, not literally here, but he's, he's elaborating on this verse. And so he talks about going room by room through his house, walking through it with Jesus. And like Jesus uh, going into the study and taking some books off the shelves and saying, these aren't going to help you to grow in me. 
and so on and so forth through all the rooms of his house until finally they come to a hall closet that's locked. And he doesn't want to give Jesus entrance into that hall closet. But there's actually something that's dead in there that's actually stinking up the whole house. And finally, he relents and lets Jesus in and lets him clear that out. And then he ends with a section called Transferring the Title, and he writes this. He says, The thought came to me. Lord, is there any chance that you would take over the management of the whole house and operate it for me as you did that closet? Would you take the responsibility to keep my life what it ought to be? His face led up and he replied, I'd love to. That's what I want to do. You cannot be a victorious Christian in your own strength. Let me do it through you and for you. That is the way. But, he added slowly, I'm just a guest. I have no authority to proceed since the property is not mine. And I wouldn't word it that way, but I think you get the point uh, that, that he's making. Dropping to my knees, I said, Lord, you have been a guest and I've been the host. From now on, I'm going to be the servant. You're going to be the owner and master. Running as fast as I could to the strong box, I took out the title deed to the house, describing its assets and liabilities, location and situation. I eagerly signed the house over to him, alone for time and eternity. Here, I said, here it is, all that I am and all that I have forever. Now you run the house. I'll just remain with you as a servant and friend. Things are different since Jesus Christ has settled down and made his home in my heart. And that really is what he boils down to when he comes to the Christian life. When we're holding back, when we're living in our own strength, we're going to struggle. When we're surrendered and um, we're walking in the Spirit, when, when, when Jesus is really in control, we, we're still going to have struggles. It's life. We're human beings. But we are going to experience the victory of the presence and the power of the indwelling Christ in us. So what are we holding out on? Do we have some locked rooms in the house of our heart? Is there something they're not, we're not giving Jesus access to? Is there something we won't surrender to Him? Is there a sin that we won't give up? Is there something He's calling us to do that we won't take a step of obedience? It could be one thing that's causing us to miss the victory, the joy, the power that he has for us. You know what? It may not even be something that in and of itself is sinful. You know, in Hebrews 12, 1, it talks about laying aside not every sin that, that hinders us, nor not just every sin, but also it talks about the weights that hinder us. You know, sometimes in, in our spiritual lives, I'm wrestling with something like this right now. There can be something that in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with it. But if it's hindering us and knowing Christ and his fullness, it's something he says, turn over to me because I'm the Lord of the house. And so what are we holding back? Because when we hold back, that's when we miss out. I mean, this is what makes living the Christian life hard. Take up your cross. Follow me daily. Our flesh fights against that. Are we going to really surrender to Christ so we can experience the fullness of what he has for us? So he says to pray. 
for Christ to be fully at home in our hearts. But then three, he says we can pray to comprehend and experience in a very tangible way the love of God. You know, the Bible tells us Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from God's love. But if we're honest, we don't always feel that love. If we're honest, sometimes we may even doubt that love. But he says here in verse 17 that we're rooted and grounded in the love of God. And then he says in verse 18, and this is the request, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints... All of us together, we help each other understand and experience God's love. What is the width and length and depth and, and height of God's love? He says, to know, and this is talking about knowing experientially, the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. His love is so great that, that we really, it, it's beyond us. But he says to pray, to comprehend and experience the love of God. Our youngest daughter, Lily, is going to come share a testimony. And kind of where this came from is um, back this spring, she told us of, of an experience that she had that related to this. And I encouraged her to read this scripture and ask her when we got to this if she would share about her experience. And so she's going to come and, and do that now. Good morning. Is this on? Can you hear me? Okay. Um, so like my dad said, um, something that I've struggled with for most of my life is doubt. Um, doubt of who God is, doubt that um, God is real, doubt um, that the Bible is what it says it is. Um, uh, so a few months ago, I was really struggling specifically with doubting God's love. Um, I was just, I just couldn't grasp the, the fact that God really loved me. Um, and so I just, I couldn't quite put it all together. There was a huge disconnect between my head and my heart and all this stuff that I've heard my whole life about God's love, it just, it just didn't click. Um, and so I just, as stupid as it sounds, I, I really felt like this whole thing was just some sort of manipulation of me or something like that. And I, I just really didn't get that God loved me. And so I'd, I'd kind of been struggling with this for a little while. And one night it just got really bad. And um, I just felt so helpless. I didn't know what to do um, because I just, my only instinct was to turn to Jesus. But at this point, I really didn't trust him. I didn't get that he loved me. And so I was more just running from him. And so those two things were really at war. And so really all I could do was just sit there and just be helpless. Um, and there really wasn't anything that I could do. And so as I sat there um, just helpless and broken and just kind of running from God, I um, I just heard this voice in my head just saying, Lily, I love you right now. Um, and even though I was really dirty and I was really just running, I just knew in that moment that God really loved me and it all clicked. Um, finally, that disconnect wasn't there anymore and it's something that I'd never experienced. Not at, at the time of salvation, I didn't even get, get it then. This was um, a work that God had done in me since then. And um, I don't think I would have, uh, that disconnect would have ever gone away if I hadn't been at such a broken point where I really couldn't do anything. All I could do was just 
just be there, just be helpless. And he reached out to me and loved me. And it's so easy for me to base, um, to have this idea that God's love is based on my performance when really it's not, it's not at all. And so that finally clicked for me that, that God's love is real and it's there and it's not based on what we do. And he loves us even whenever we can't do anything at all. And so my prayer for everyone in this room and everyone online is that we would all experience God's love in a way that we never have before because it really, it changes everything. It changes the way we see ourselves and the way we see God and the way that we see others. And it's just so powerful and it has changed me. And so um, my prayer is that it would change you too. So thank you. Can't say anything to, to add to that, I don't think. Um, maybe it's bad if you're 14-year-olds deeper than you are. But uh, um, So let's look at the last re- request here to finish up. But, um, you know, in verse 19, he tells us that we can pray to experience more of the presence of God. Now, notice the last phrase here. He says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, I've said this before as we've gone through Ephesians, uh, but I used this word again, mind-boggling. I mean, that's just mind-boggling. You know, the filled with the fullness of God. And you say, well, what does that even mean? I mean, I thought, you know, God lived in us through his spirit. How can we be any more filled with the fullness of God? Well, you know, God's spirit indwells us. And so we don't get part of the spirit. He's a person. He's not a you know, force or it or thing, you know, he's God and he's in us. So we have all of the Holy Spirit. He's there. And so really, I think this is a prayer not to get more of God, not even to get more of God's presence, but to experience more of the presence of God that we already have. That God would actually fill us up with his spirit, actually take control of us by his spirit, that we would actually know him in a very real kind of way. In 1935, Blasio Kugosi, a school teacher in Rwanda, Central Africa, was discouraged by his own spiritual experience, powerlessness in his life, lack of life in the church. And so he, he decided to kind of closet himself for a week of prayer and fasting just to seek God. He emerged a changed man. Um, he confessed his sins to those he had wronged, including his wife and children. He proclaimed the gospel in the school where he taught. Revival broke out there, resulting in students and teachers being saved. Uh, they started to be called the people on fire. And, and then he was uh, invited to another place to share with the Anglican church. And, uh, you know, the same kind of experience happened and basically genuine revival uh, spread. And then in a few weeks later, he died of a fever. So his ministry lasted a few weeks, but it sparked a revival, uh, you know, that transformed hundreds of thousands of lives over decades in, in this area. But it began with a discouraged Christian setting himself apart to seek the fullness of God's spirit. And exactly however we go about doing it, I think this is what Paul is talking about here. You know, he wants us to know, to to, to understand, to comprehend. 
That we're in Christ. Christ is in us. We're the dwelling place of God, like we saw at the end of chapter 2. And really, this prayer connects back to that, because remember, he had the digression there. We are the dwelling place of God. But he says to pray for God to actually fill us, control us by his spirit, for us to fully know him and experience his presence. So, just to close, you know, what do we do with this? Well, first of all, I would say, if you're not a Christian... God loves you. He loves you so much that his son came and died for you. He wants to reconcile you to himself. He wants to, you to know him. He wants to fill you with his love and his presence and all the blessings that go along with that. But you have to repent of your sins toward God, trust in Jesus Christ, receive Christ into your life by Faith, but he invites you to do that today, to, to give up in, on trying to save yourself and to surrender to him, to trust him, to give your life to him. Will you do that? If you are a Christian, well, what do we do with this? And I just want to mention five things, kind of five steps here. First of all, it's so important that we meditate on the word of God. Listen, we, we can pray Lord, open the eyes of my heart. We can pray, Lord, help me experience these things. But you know how the Holy Spirit works? The Holy Spirit works through truth. That's how he speaks to you. He speaks to you through the truth of God's word. If you don't know any truth, you're not going to hear a whole lot from the Holy Spirit. You're not going to experience a whole lot of God. So we meditate on the, on the word of God. But I, I think this frames our Bible reading in a very helpful way where it's not just reading for information. It's not just doing a Bible plan to say that we've read uh, the Bible, although both of those things are important. It's as we read, we're seeking God. We're asking God to reveal himself to us, who he is and how he works and who we are and, and what he wants us to do and how our lives need to change as we're seeking God in his word because, uh, you know, the, behind the written word of God lies the living word, Jesus Christ. So that's how we can read scripture, to meditate on the word of God. Second, believing prayer, to pray these things. You know, if Paul prayed it, God must have led him to pray it. And so it must be a prayer that God would answer. So one of the wisest things we could ever do is to simply pray Scripture. Can I, can I encourage you, maybe this is more homework, you may be like, this is too much homework in a week, but it would be helpful homework. What if this week, if we prayed the prayer in Ephesians 1 for ourselves and for our brothers and sisters in Christ? What if this week we prayed this prayer in Ephesians 3 for ourselves and for our brothers and sisters in Christ? What might happen? What if we tried it and let's just see? Worship. This prayer ended up in worship. I mean, how can we not... Or how can we see what God has done for us in Christ? How can we see and actually experience this love that Lily talked about and it not lead to us worshiping him? 
submission to God. I mean, if we really want to experience what he has for us, it's about surrendering to him and being filled with the Spirit. Those two things go hand in hand. You know, when we get into the application side of this, Ephesians 5.18 is going to tell us, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Live under the control of the Holy Spirit. And so these are some steps that we can take to apply this as believers. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes, if you would.